As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? Okay, hello, welcome to the show, everyone. Um, I'm Jake. I don't know how we st- usually I go, hey, what's up, Louisa? But we have a guest, so I don't want to leave our guest in guest purgatory like we usually do. Hi, I'm Jake. Louisa's here, and we are joined by Nick Marks, one author of the uh, this new book called "That's Not Funny: How the Right Makes Comedy Work for Them" by Nick Marks here and Matt Sinkowitz. Not here, Matt Sinkowitz. Did I get that right? Yes. All right. Cool. Welcome. Um, Apologies, for Matt, me. for my previous uh, butchering at his last name. <laughs> um, that's all right. I think. Why am I? Why am I saying it's all right? Anyway, hello. Um, so I'm excited to uh, to talk to you for the next hour or so about this book. I read it. People told me about it before you even pitched it at us because it seemed like it was right up our alley. Because it's about some of our fucking uh, people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I guess we have to call them our people, right? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I was going to call them like our little friends or something like Marx when yeah. he's talking when he's critiquing people in his books. But um, I don't know, some something along those. It's about people we talk shit about, right? So, um, so I'm ex- I'm, I'm I'm into it. I enjoyed your book quite a bit. Uh, I guess right off the bat, can you tell our listeners what this book is about? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. It's about two things primarily. One, telling liberals, broadly conceived, that we are not the owners of comedy in the United States. So the last 20 years have kind of given the impression that The Daily Show, Saturday Night Live, these things with a kind of center-left orientation politically that's comedy. Anything that falls outside of a liberal orientation is something else. The second thing was just to describe this world of right-wing comedy, really that Matt and I uh, pegged to uh, emerging kind of with the, the Trump administration. So it's not as though many of the folks we talk about in the book, like Dennis Miller and Tim Allen and, and on and on didn't exist before Trump. But what we identify as a kind of like coalescing of a bunch of different conservative, libertarian, uh, religious, fundamentalist, right wing voices into a unified voice, into a unified uh, comedy industry. So these things are big platforms. They make money. They have audiences. They go out on tour. uh, So it's impossible for those of us on the left to kind of bury our head in the sand and say, that's not comedy. That's not funny. So I'm not going to pay attention to it and I'm not going to take it seriously. Sure. Um. I uh, I enjoyed the book. The premise of it is right up my alley. Like I said, I guess I have two things to say about it right up top in terms of the entire general assertion and theory of the book. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing is that uh, we aren't libs, right? So uh, yeah. what I didn't enjoy about the book was it constantly referring to me in the first person as a liberal. But I know when you write a book, you have a person in mind who's going to be reading it. Um, and, but I thought I need to dig into this a little bit because – um, there's something interesting happening in your critique of, uh, the liberal, there's something very clever happens in the book when you, which is 
one thing you describe is the right wing uh, comedy complex, as in mm -hmm. like a complex of buildings. And then yep. in quotes more, the second thing you describe is the liberal comedy complex, which is like a psychological complex, which is something that I do agree exists. And I was very concerned with in my career as a comic. And I was really glad that somebody pointed this out because there are heavy, heavy implications within the liberal comedy complex. So the first thing uh, that, that you point out basically is that, um, liberals have this idea that they have the monopoly on comedy and also in like more, you know, less uh, binary understandings of politics. When I talk to leftists, often leftists say they have, we all, is it funny that we are the only people that are funny and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I've always said, I don't think this is true. And I think it's really important that people understand that it's not true because a, uh, you don't understand like, like this thing that you describe in the in the book about basically how the right kind of blindsided people with you know yeah. having this this propaganda arm of the right wing grow rapidly and like people didn't understand that like Gutfeld was getting higher numbers than late night in the Daily Show at some points so people need to get that like oh no there's a thing to be worried about in terms of like even I don't know in our business and entertainment and stuff like that yeah but the second thing is that. I think that just logically, philosophically, when people argue that um, that, you know, people with good politics and people that agree with me are the only people that uh, are funny or that whose art can possibly evoke a reaction that is good. They then turn around and create a situation where, well, if someone is good and if someone does make you laugh, you then reverse engineer the argument back to they yeah. must have good politics because they mm -hmm. made me laugh and that's created a huge problem in like left podcasting with all these post left type people where people do not understand that some of the people that they are consuming are inherently politically at its bones libertarian and evil yeah. because they make them laugh and that's why you have to understand the right can be good at comedy and it's a huge fucking problem it's yeah. you know they're 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 picking up the same skills as everyone else and comedy largely like any other art form is skill based so anyone can do it for any reason and we all got to get out of this weird like um, this weird pitfall that we've fallen into um, this delusion that we've sort of all agreed to, uh, you know, to reinforce because it's siloing us really bad and it's, oh. it's just stupid. It's bad philosophy. Um, what was the second thing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, did you want to respond to that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, siloing. So in, in a, in a previous media era, like there were three broadcast TV networks and 40 million people tuned in to watch all in the family from across the political spectrum every night. Right. And they, they had the sort of conservative uh, Archie Bunker fighting with the liberal meathead. And we kind of hashed out our, our political differences in a big cultural sandbox. We're in a completely different media industry moment now where uh, we are hyper siloed from not only like those broad audience coalitions that used to exist 40, 50 years ago, but now we have like cultural content like comedy algorithmically served to us, right, by social media platforms. So if you're a liberal comedy fan, chances are you stay in your lane. You like uh, Trevor Noah much as he might make the rest of us wretch. Uh, you, you tune into Saturday Night Live, Stephen Colbert, right, the sort of mainstream liberal comedy institutions that we've gotten to know over the years. And you turn a blind eye to 
the stuff that doesn't show up in your Facebook feed, doesn't show up in your Twitter feed, the stuff that maybe you might kind of hear of from like your racist uncle at Thanksgiving. But when it does come up in that context, you sort of wave it away as like, a, well, he's my racist uncle, so he can't possibly have a sense of humor. The thing he's laughing at every late night when I'm paying attention to Colbert can't possibly be comedy, right? Jake, you mentioned sort of reverse engineering someone's politics from uh, what they're laughing at. And I think that's right. that's spot on that um, we've uh, broadly conceived liberals, leftists kind of had blinders on about our own tastes and been willfully ignorant of the fact that like 40, 50 percent of the country also likes to laugh. They're human beings, right? If, even if it's something as banal as King of Queens all the way out to the aggressively like neo-Nazi podcast that we're, we're covering later in the book. This stuff is meant to provoke laughter. It's meant to have the same um, galvanizing, like cohering uh, force that comedy has had for us on the left for all these years. And for us to deny that is a, a losing strategy, like culturally, politically, everything. Yeah. Okay. That kind of brings me to another point I wanted to get to, which is that um, I, I really like this book because it articulated something that I've been trying to put into words for a long time, which is what like, what use comedy in media like this actually serves because um, I think in the modern, you know, recent era comedy and what a comedy career is has kind of almost become indistinguishable from punditry so when people say it doesn't do anything i'm like well do you think punditry doesn't do anything because it's like people are kind of getting the same thing out of it however it's not to be understood as politically um like like uh, effective in the way that like direct action is it's more like um like i got i pissed a lot of people off on twitter recently when i compared uh or i didn't even compare i i I repeated somebody else's meme, which is that they said that John Oliver is Joe Rogan for people who like Hamilton. And I understand that Joe Rogan is dumber and that he, he has worse politics and he's less informed and the show isn't professional and all this stuff. But the thing is, I, I kind of think that they, this person who made this they meme. They serve the same function. They serve the yeah. same function, which is, um, people, it mollifies people because like whatever your favorite comedy news thing is, you know, we are people who are overworked and exhausted and we go to sleep at night watching a thing or whatever, or we wake up listening to it on our, our headphones and stuff. And it like these shows, whether they are good or bad politics for whatever complex, whichever side of the complex they're in or whichever uh, al alternative, you know, whichever complex respective complex they're in, the liberal one or the fucking right wing one. They kind of serve like in my mind, they seem to be like a baby blanket for like yeah. you to just sort of. Uh, you know, feel someone agreeing with you and feeling angry about the things that you're angry about, whether they're right or wrong things, right? Yeah. That's not the, the, the distinction I'm making. The distinction I'm making is just that they, they like in either of these audiences, you have people that have kind of tricked themselves into thinking this is activism, that I'm a fan of this thing. And that is what, that is the, the function that comedy serves. It's the propaganda thing. It's kind of like, um, a lubricant or something that, and it's, it also, like you describe in your book, moves people between different parts of the respective media complexes and serves as like, you know, pipelines going upward and downward and into the worst parts and up to the more sanitary parts and whatever. And, and because, uh, 
because of the way media capitalism works, like, you know, it, it, it works better for everyone on either side of that media war because mm-hmm. we're constantly just trading guests back and forth, guesting on each other's shows and stuff and just growing our audiences by, by slinging each other, slinging them around to each other. Um, so I don't know. Uh, can you elaborate on that at all? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, two reactions. I, the, the first, the uh, overall one, comedy is about creating in-groups and out-groups. It, it fundamentally creates a, a relationship that is like a, a laugher and a laughy. And that happens, you two know, at the, in the micro instance when you're standing on stage telling a joke and there's a part of the room that's with you and a part of the room that's not. On the liberal side of the equation, I think we've fallen into the trap over the last 20 years of thinking that tuning into John Stewart and John Oliver and Samantha B and every and everybody else, that's doing a politics, right? It's like I'm I'm doing my activism for the day by like sharing this clip of John Oliver's whatever rant he's on uh, for that night, and that's a, an attractive sort of narcotizing thing to 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 be a part of, right? Um, especially in the current moment where so much of our electoral politics are utterly like enfeebled and they don't actually do anything we've sort of leaned into the cultural arena to express ourselves uh our our outrage our frustrations as it's voiced through figures like whoever's hosting the daily show the thing that we've overlooked on the left as i've mentioned before is that this same thing can uh be used by the by the right right Our, our political opponents except we've fallen into the trap of painting them as these humorless kind of dopes over these uh, last sort of five, 10 years. They're incapable of getting jokes because they're too dumb. They're too self-serious. They're too busy at church. They're too busy polishing their guns or whatever, all of which might be true, but we kind of want to sound the alarm bell to say that all these different factions of uh, right-wing thought that you detest, right? The Trump pussy grabbers all the way to like the, Jonesboro Baptist Church sort of abortion right uh, uh, activists are still laughing at the Babylon Bee, right? They they cohere around these comedy products, and we have to take this seriously as a thing that creates uh, an in group uh, on behalf of a a big you know right wing coalition that we disagree with. Yeah, I mean, I have a podcast. I feel that happening in my own audience on this show and on the other one that I do that has a slightly bigger audience, and I know that that's like kind of what part of the what you're selling is which is why you know you should do a good you should make a good in group instead of a bad in group and that's Mm -hmm. kind of where the political difference lies to me or whatever but like um to get back a little bit to just the binary between uh liberals and conservatives you lay out in this book i kind of have a big brain take on this and i think maybe like uh uh, this is what I'm coming away from and where I think that we should all expand after reading something like this on is that um, you critique liberals ultimately in the book. Like it, it starts off going, Hey, if you're a liberal and you're reading this, you missed that this huge thing grew. Here's why you missed it. And then at the end, you look at this fucking dickhead Ryan Long's thing where I know from comedy and who is I didn't realize, though, until I read your book, because I don't like like this person. I don't think about him very much how much of an actually avowed libertarian is and how much he has a background in libertarian politics. Um, But you kind of give him a little bit of credit for critiquing liberals in a way. And uh, I also don't really like liberal comedians like I don't like any of these things. So I had a really interesting time reading this book because. Um, I don't feel like I'm in an in, in an in group with the Daily Show people, but uh, but that being said, 
there isn't a left comedy industrial complex. There's like a few, your mic's off, sorry. Uh, there's like a few, I'm so, I wasn't sure if you're trying to say something. There's like a few left, uh, there, there's like Chapo Trap House. It's like the only thing you might mm -hmm. refer to as like a micro version of that. Um, but they sort of assert the same thing. They think that conservatives aren't funny, and I don't think they understand when what they're doing is conservative and funny at the same time because they, they do a little bit of the socially conservative, uh, fiscally radical thing. And uh, I noticed when I was reading this book, you were talking about how um, some people conceive of right-wing comedy as only angry. And that that is a thing that Chapo isolated and argued and i remember listening to that episode and going no they got this wrong uh because their their bit when they were making fun of right-wing comedians was they're not funny because they get so angry about the thing that they're talking about that they just like forget to do comedy and they start mm -hmm. yelling which is like a funny critique but it's wrong because sometimes right-wing people are funny and funny is a subjective thing even if it's not funny to me it's funny to somebody else and i started to notice that because i live in fucking brooklyn and hang out with podcasters i started hearing people who listen to chapo ape that point and parrot it all the time to me and i'd be like no no no, no. i actually work in comedy it's not true like the some of the stuff that uh in fact fucking reactionary points can be powerfully funny because they uh they they play on grievances that people have and that they can't help but have because you know you're put in a situation by society where you know i mean it might be wrong but every once in a while you're in your car and you get cut off by somebody of a certain ethnicity or whatever and it comes out you know it's an explanation for a feeling those yeah. grievances or whatever and sometimes that stuff is you know comical because comedy's <laughs> libidinal you know and it, it like the point doesn't have to be correct to be fun to fucking to to play out or whatever yeah i i don't know the the specific um uh point that you're making from chapo but it's it's something that we push back against in the book uh and indeed i mean i i think chapo's at its best when when matt chrisman is frothing at the mouth angry about something and being funny while he's doing that what we've seen in like the I'm a college professor, right? So the like I've got political communication colleagues and all these other people who study the way that humans talk to one another and the emotions that they elicit. And they make much the same point that like anger is one type of thing. Uh, laughter is another type of thing that all gets thrown out the window when that gets expressed as culture, right? When you're writing a comedy sketch, when you're doing a comedy bit, those two emotions, I agree, Jake, are are hand in hand. They They can go side by side, and they importantly don't have a political affiliation. Like anger, resentment, and comedy has been just as powerfully expressed by Jon Stewart when he was calling out the New York Times for the run-up to the Iraq war as they are now when Ryan Long is like disingenuously calling out Hannah Gadsby or, or whatever he, he claims to be angry about. Yeah. I guess what I was getting. Gonna, let me jump in here because uh, if not, it's just going to be a conversation between you guys. No, I was. It was gonna apparently. Be <laughs> no, no, I was literally going to do one more thing. No, no, uh, it's fine, and we can come back to your one thing. But um, I am about to explode in my pants, I guess, because um, <laughs> you know I think the book is excellent. is an excellent, um, I guess, layout and explanation of some of these emerging or have been emerging for a long time groups and people who are serving them and how that's functioning politically. Uh, but I specifically liked that the book is addressed to liberals because it is specifically something that, um, you know, what irks me is I think that, uh, and why I'm exploding in my pants is that a <laughs> lot of the people that people uh, assume that I'm going to like, I don't like. Uh, 
So, for example, I'm in the situation where I fucking think Chapo Trap House sucks ass. I never <laughs> like them. I don't think that they're good. I don't think that it's a good podcast. But the reality is that uh, because their podcast took off with center left people and they then platformed center left and leftist comics who also had podcasts and they got a bigger audience because of that podcast, they feel now networked and indebted to Chapo Trap House. So I am limited in my ability to comfort comfortably say my opinions about Chapo Trap House because it threatens my friendships with people who have benefited from knowing and working with Chapo Trap House. Yeah, story me? of my life, man. And I say this because I need everyone to understand that it is exactly the same thing on the other side. So, Nick, uh, just so you know, I am not somebody who, like, Jake can say, uh, you know, Legion of Skanks, etc. They're his peers. They're people who work in the same world as him, who he's had to be around. I am guilty of directly working with them. Uh, I have known them and the two producers and clubs that basically are responsible for solely platforming them. And uh, letting them, I guess, run amok and build their whole network. Uh, because I have been around New York comedy long enough to remember when there was this specific set of comedians who really just claimed to be apolitical. Okay. Yeah. So they did not see themselves as part of this SNL uh, daily show in group just like jake said right which is possibly why jake was friends with some of them as well me too i didn't see myself as part of this snl you know um mainstream comedy mm -hmm. leans liberal because the people who make it lean liberal it doesn't mean that it is the most left version of comedy nor that all leftists enjoy it right um but Back to this group. So when we say that like liberals um, didn't see this phenomenon ra rising, right? Um, I want to say I want to argue that like uh, leftists who are politically, I think, aware were aware of this mm -hmm. coming up. Um, at least much longer than a couple of years ago. I think mm -hmm. back dating back to 2016 or before, uh, because. If we are the type of people who were already kind of sensitive to uh, things like workers' situations and rights at clubs and how much how they're treated uh, by industry, for example, um, and all these kinds of things, then we were already hearing this uh, rumbling, right? Which was, hey, we found, we've tapped into another audience. Like... All of a sudden, instead of the only path to, quote, success and fame and money being SNL or get on late night or get on Comedy Central or whatever the fuck, it suddenly became also if you start a po podcast, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of fucking dudes, white dudes who have money, who are in their mom's basement, who listen to podcasts all day long, who drive trucks, who are, do jobs where they can listen to podcasts to all day long. And they donate their money and they want that um, personal relationship and that, um, uh, what is it, exclusive content, all of that stuff, right? So I say this to say, at one point, um, I worked, you know, independently for the clubs that platformed Legion of Skanks. And those clubs put me to work with Legion of Skanks, running shows for them, right? 
So uh, in addition to working at the first skin fest, I didn't really work. I just showed up and got a badge and watched the show and left early because it was horrifying. Uh, but I did, um, you know, like roast shows with them. So there is this thing of mean comedy existed for a long time before Trump. Okay. And it wasn't something until like maybe Comedy Central roasts a little bit shows that side of comedy. But at clubs, at the tables where comics are hanging out, at the um, bar shows that are not being televised, mean comedy exists. And we all laughed at it and we liked it and it was fun and it was great. And it was a catharsis of a different kind. Right. That is not related to this, like, um, makes me feel better about my identity and my politics mm -hmm. type of stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly, Jake, and I want to say suddenly, looking back at it now, but it was, I guess, kind of slowly. We had friends who found, who were not finding success through the center avenues, right? So all of a sudden, you know, if you remember Red Eye on right. Fox, I was going to say the first chapter shit? of this book goes through Red Eye, and when this was happening, yeah. a bunch of my friends who I thought and also were claiming to be apolitical mm -hmm. at the time, they all went on Red Eye, and that's yes. how they ended up getting sucked up through the complex into this other shit. Exactly. So what I love about this book, uh, Nick, is that you cover very well, like you give us a good plan for the complex and you kind of talk about it in terms of that the consumer can understand. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we do have a lot of comedy fans that listen to the show, but we also have a lot of comedians, producers of comedy, industry people. And I think that not only do would I like it for them to buy and read your book, but to then think about further what this means for us. Right. Yeah, because they um, what we saw. Right. And I, this is what I want to ask you about what you saw in your uh, work preparing for the book and everything mm -hmm. and everyone you talked to. But what we saw from the inside and Jake, tell me if you disagree, is that all of a sudden uh, people who previously were like funny is funny. Comics can say anything. Uh, I'm just here to make jokes. I don't talk about politics in my comedy. I am apolitical. Right. We're suddenly taking jobs for the money and for the exposure to greater audiences that put them squarely in front of right wing audiences. Yep. And then they continued to take those jobs because yep. their following increased. People kept telling them they were so funny on Red Eye. It was you were so funny on fucking Joe Rogan. You were so funny on whatever. Right. And they just continue to go down this path. So they're getting positive reinforcement and money and network connections in a way where they weren't getting this in any way in center or left, because as Jake said, there is no left comedy structure complex. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they went very quickly from defending the way they do their art as funny as funny to defending the way they do business as being about free speech. Yep. And you, if you disagree, then you're a snowflake who doesn't yeah. know what's funny. And you, you're just jealous that you're not making money and not succeeding. And so they like seamlessly kind of went into this space where they didn't see that they are functioning in a political space mm -hmm. while being the fucking leading charge, like leading the charge. What do you think of that? Yeah, so I absolutely want to acknowledge first that these regressive voices have long existed in stand-up spaces, the, the ones that you two know much much better than I. Matt and I wanted to focus on the people who make money, the, the people who are big names the big ones, in the field, yeah. the big ones, right? 
And I think that trajectory you trace, Louisa, is absolutely right. That um, stand-up comics may have uh, tried to uh, knock on the door of those center-left institutions like SNL. They kept getting shut out for whatever, half a dozen different reasons. And they turned to a different economic lane. They turned rightward and found like, oh, there's money to be made here, right? There, I can get laughs by going to this reactionary rightward space. That gets them gut felt, that gets them higher and higher up the chain to getting on Rogan and whatever else. The thing we try to emphasize over and over again in the book is not an isolation of, take the um, uh, example of Rogan. So we get a lot of questions about like Rogan's politics. How can you call him right wing? He's never voted for a Republican. He supports drug legalization, whatever, jerk off motion. But it's the connections that Rogan has to Legion of Skanks and the connections that yep. Legion of Skanks has to Michael Malice, to all these other trolls, to all these further and further and further right wing reactionaries that is overwhelmingly rightward and overwhelmingly not to the other side. Right. So you, you have to take this sort of long view of the, the, of the careers these folks have had that you just outlined see who they've hung out with, see what kind of festivals they've appeared at, and not just at their one joke that may or may not make you laugh in any given instance. I've laughed Absolutely. at Legion of, I've laughed yeah. at Legion of Skanks jokes all the time when they're like totally. riff, riffing, riffing with Luis Gomez and making fun of Jay's like bracelets or yeah. whatever. There's lots of like just pure sort of dumb comedy on all these shows. Yeah. But in the broader scope of things, they overwhelmingly push their audiences rightward. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, um, something, uh, sorry, last thing, Jake, and I'll yeah. throw it back to you. Good, good. You know, uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that in what you guys are talking about in the book about um, how, I guess, like, liberals are blind to how this huge audience exists, right, for comedy because of this idea that they thought they couldn't possibly be funny or know what humor is or any of that. There is also this crazy, uh, like parallel, I guess I'll say, where, you know, connecting to what I'm saying about comics, right? If we go back to thinking of comics as artists, as people who like decided that they wanted to impact the world or spend their life being creative and producing a creative product in this type of way. And then they went off to chase it and they made all these sacrifices to go off and change, chase it. That, I think, is something that if we reduce it to that and then we remember that just like all those men in basements listening to these podcasts, a lot of the comics are the same kind of like they are they're going through the same fucking shit of like uh, being raised and told you can be anything you want and, the, you know, the world is yours and then growing up and finding that it's not and then no matter how much you work for it, capitalism, et cetera, all these things are going to bring you down. So there is something where, you know, I do think the first step is acknowledging as you guys are trying to have people do that this audience exists. But then I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that they're not that fucking different from you yeah. because they also do the same thing. Like, you know, I was thinking about, and Jake, this is totally for you to talk on, but I was thinking about those of us like me and Jake who did speak up about these things as we saw them and basically the result of that right and the response that we got from comics who were both our friends and just our peers and people we had professional relationships with who all of a sudden were our enemies right and I think it was a thing where we critiqued uh the changing 
wins, right? And sure, and maybe it wasn't always uh, sensitive or perfect or approached the way that they would love it or whatever, but they, by and large, reacted in a very defensive, like their life livelihood is being threatened way because it is, because they are doing this for a monetary reason, right? And then the way that they responded, they respond to anyone who criticizes um, either the content of a joke or the intent or whether you're, um, what is it called, uh, pandering, right? Or, you know, any of that. Then the responses are always actually very much about how you are not the one, but you are the one who doesn't get humor, right? So either you're too sensitive or you don't know what funny is or you care too much what political what's sociopolitically correct or whatever the fuck and they always turn it back into this uh the same like when i read you describing how liberals uh, especially those who grew up watching like the daily show and all of that have internalized uh political comedy as part of their identity and their political worldview that also is happening on the other side oh yeah yeah, we're in like the era of the right wing, yeah. what The Daily Show was to liberals. Now they have a bunch yeah. of those things that are that to uh, these people who by and large. But what's confusing about it is that like by and large, they, a lot of them don't identify as political, even though because they don't understand that like everything is political. So like the skanks, exactly. they have Dave Smith, who is an explicit express political guy. He's yeah. like literally yeah. maybe going to run for president on the libertarian yeah. ticket. But those other two guys say, oh, I'm not political. <laughs> and you're like. Well, how what? does that work yeah, in your brain? Exactly. You can know, we, can we but, but, can we pause for a Dave Smith moment? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay, um, I'm just gonna say this because honestly, this is Nick. One of the most shocking things to me in all of the history of comedy that I'm aware of. Okay, is right. Dave Dave Smith. Okay, because I would say to you that I have seen more than a thousand comedians live, and I'm being generous. Okay, mm-hmm. and. I would put Dave Smith in the top five worst comedians I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Even (laughs) measured up against brand new comics. Okay. And I say this because I'm not judging him based on an open mic or like a 10 minute set at a club where he was running new things. I went to see him record his album because Lewis asked me to as a favor because he wanted to fill the room with industry and people, you know, so can you come watch Dave Smith record the, it was, uh, you know, produced by Lewis. Right. So this is part of the whole, like fact that they started then making albums for each other. And like, it, you know, they became a whole industry for themselves because they were rejected by the mainstream centrist industry. So I go to watch this and this is supposed to be, an hour of prepared material that you have spent at least the last year working on and that you think is so final and so ready that you want not only a whole audience to see you talk for an hour, but you want to record it and share it for all of eternity. Not one funny thing was said that night, gentlemen. And here's what I want to tell you. He, to me, is the extreme example of this phenomenon that we're talking about because he was a young a disenfranchised young man, white man that felt like the world owed him something. And he went off to be a comic and then he fucking sucked at it. And nobody liked Dave. Nobody booked Dave. Dave has no success. Dave is not a good stand-up comedian. But he happened to be smarter than the crew that he hooked up up with. So he leaned into that and he became the politics guy and he read the books because he is a you know intelligent man that can read books and then you know regurgitate points 
And he has basically bowled over his, uh, I guess, partner, just peers who are funnier than him, who are better at comedy than him. And somehow together they have formed this fucked up Voltron that like separately they could not have done these things because Dave would not have gotten an audience without the other two. And Lewis is a good businessman who's neither a good comedian nor a good politician. And Jay is a good comedian who's not a good businessman and doesn't understand politics. So it's just this, like, this could happen to anyone. (laughs) It's the kind of thing that I want to say. I don't know. Tell me, Jake. Sorry, go. I just wanted to really say Dave Smith sucks. Sorry, go. (laughs) Here's where I wanted to get to, and then I will see the floor because I want our guests to talk. But I, uh, it's kind of to wrap a lot of what we just talked about all up together. Um, I, I think, and the reason I'm like kind of like stuck on the, uh, it's it's annoying that the book splits into the binary of liberal and conservative, but also it needs to because those are the only two comedy worlds. Um, and that's what most people understand. Too. Yeah, yeah, but I think yeah. that the real story, like from my I, what I was thinking about before I ever heard of this book, the thing that's just in my heart that I think about a lot in terms of my life as a comedian and my experience being around these people is that the ultimately. Like you're right when you say this could these people aren't that different from other people yeah. like liberals. This could be any of us. The, ultimately, this is an indictment of capitalism because absolutely what you had. I mean, I knew all these people when they were young comics. Like we all moved to the city mm-hmm. around the same time, and they were all doing the thing of living in your car or living in a really shitty apartment and going like, "It's New York. If I just work really hard, I'm going to you know something will happen." And the thing is, a lot of these people were really fucking funny, like good at comedy but you have to understand that capitalism doesn't work in order to deal with the massive contradiction of i'm a really talented comic i'm the best at what i do and i'm not getting invited on snl and getting into this upper crust because this is also a metropolitan city where the big bit like liberals are all rich people they're all in the big business of comedy if they're not rich they're people that got fucking got in there and then pulled the ladder up behind them and they're basically you know turncoats it became capitalists and stuff like that so what you have these people that have like as the trump thing was coming around i mean i remember when mullen first became anti-woke when he first like articulated it because he used to do jokes about everything but he came home at one point to austin after having lived back in maryland and it was like he had witness he had big you know eyes (laughs) and he was like there's this thing out there where you can talk about like liberals like in this way and it's not you're not a conservative, he thought. I mean, I think he thought, oh, it's a new way of doing this. And like, oh, we should, you know, we, it was like he discovered like a fucking new weird th- trick. And he, he was taking it around. It was blowing everyone's mind. It was before anyone had language for any of this stuff. He couldn't know to call it anti-woke. He didn't really know to call it reactionary. And it was like, oh, this is going to be the thing that gets me out of my fucking car, you know? And that's why when these guys, when Mullen took off with Town and fucking Legion of Skanks took off, it's like they had been through the trenches and they didn't want to give up on the idea that capitalism works and so they were like this makes it all make sense the fact that i finally got the career that i had always deserved makes everything still i could still kind of uh, believe in capitalism and like (laughs) then i come along and i kind of had the same like i realized capitalism was bullshit around this time and i went cool i'm just, just gonna do comedy and live a life and be a bartender i'm gonna have a great time doing that but these people were still like stuck within the paradigm of like uh, uh, you know if if capitalism doesn't play out for me then i must not be good but i know i'm good so there's this like math equation fucking breaking these people's brains and they always whenever i critique them for like platforming nazis and stuff like that 
they I know that they feel guilty on some psychological level and can't like respond to the critique that I'm giving them. So what they do is they change it and they tell their audience this person is attacking us because they think that our comedy is too far and they don't like yeah. comedy. And that's so I, there's a point in your book. I took a screenshot. Of it, I'm going to read it here. I think it's really important uh, because like I always illustrate this by whenever somebody goes, you're a woke scold. I call him a cunt or some word I'm not supposed to say or whatever to mm. let them know. No, I'm also a mean comedian. Right. <laughs> um, you say this is, me, this is me. Bad virtue signaling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hold well, on. I'm going to read it set up for a second. I wanted to just say quickly, uh, Nick, afterwards, if you have something to say, but Jake, could we try to squeeze in one question each of us? I think. Or? Yeah. This is the last yeah, thing to I'll say. Have sure. one too. Yeah. No. Okay. Sure. Go. 15 minute warning, by the way, we got to let our guests talk, but, uh, I know, I know. Go, go. <laughs> You said we're just we were just very excited about the book. Vic. I'm sorry. This is what I sure, do. I sure, interrupt I, Jake. I interrupt please, Jake. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So the passage is to be clear. Our analysis of skanks isn't a call for libertarian podcasters to do better. Very important point. Yes. Uh, or to be more polite in the same way professional pol- political commentators were waiting for Trump to act more presidential. Our goal is to make clear that the repeated choices of the skanks and podcasters like them to steer bits into the most controversial incendiary places is intentional and driven by the commercial imperatives of the podcasting industry. It is a financial ploy, not a plea for free speech protection. Yeah, yeah I think that was like you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Absolutely. yeah, yeah, thank you. I, the And it goes for, for Rogan, for skanks, for all these these folks you're talking about. They are in the business of making money of, of, of growing their audience, except their sort of libertarian philosophy intersects nicely with, um, that profit imperative, right? Fuck you. If you try to silence me, because that means you're silencing free speech. And it also means you're making me poor. So I think that I forget which one of you sort of named that, um, that turn to like, whenever somebody tries to say, Hey, don't do that. Don't platform a a Nazi. Don't, don't make that joke. Instead of sort of holding themselves accountable, their immediate reaction is to say, you're silencing me. You're taking away my money, right? You're, yeah. it, it's to be defensive. They can't hold that um, contradiction in their head. I do think there's something to the sort of liberal tendency to kind of uh, muddle through like ambivalence and contradictions a little bit better. And I think that shows up in our comedy That's a little true. bit better. But on the right side of the aisle, it's also always just an individualistic libertarian bent of like fuck you i'm gonna make this joke if you get in front of me that means you're trying to to cancel me and 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 take away my money which is really funny because um they are not in any way ever really grappling with or acknowledging the lack of genuineness or authenticity and why they're even telling that joke because one of the things that struck me as knowing them and this is not my one question but (laughs) tell me uh if you ran into this like do you really do you think that with a lot of these comedians who are serving the right wing, that they actually believe mm. the stuff that they're saying. It's it's tough to say that the higher up folks like, say, Greg Gutfeld on yeah. Fox News, yeah. the people who are on cable news just want to be on cable news. Exactly. I, I doubt that they have the political convictions that folks on the left ascribe to them. I think the lower down the rungs of like, uh, popularity you go like i think dave smith probably believes a lot of the the nonsense he espouses and yeah. it's been profitable for him i the the club comics that you folks hang out with i i have no idea i mean i think folks will get up on stage and probably say just about anything if it gets them the next booking and it gets them the next that, uh run up on the, the ladder yeah. that is the truth of it and um unfortunately i think there's very few comedians who 
wouldn't say what they need to say to get the laugh or get the paycheck. Yeah. But Jake, what's your question? Let's throw out some <laughs> lightning questions. <laughs> right. I mean, ah, like. I mean, Jake, what's your question? Sorry, pod, did pod, I say Nick? I don't know. No, you said Jake. Uh, okay, podcasting is so frustrating. You run out of time so fast. I, I, I know, I know, almost, I know. There's a lot of great. Every chapter goes through a different level, kind of descending like Dante's Inferno mm-hmm. into you know, the fu- <laughs> yeah. more fucked up parts of the right wing uh, comedy complex. My, uh, I think my favorite one is the last one though. When you when you went into like just below the people that sometimes guest on something like the Skanks, there is like a yeah. dark web underworld of just actual express fascist can you talk just a little bit about what you found down there yeah so the the form of comedy that liberals are most likely familiar with that we describe as right wing is trolling right like we've all heard of trolls long before trump came in office and we wrote this book um and that we start by describing somebody like gavin McInnes, right the founder of the proud boys who was a longtime guest on greg gutfeld red eye and it's been all over the fox news universe this um, figure of Michael Malice, who appears all across the different podcasts we describe in the book. He's on the Babylon Bees podcast, despite there being Christian fundamentalists. He's on Rogan, a bunch. I think he's been on Skanks. Um, people who try to make your reaction work against you, right? The, the just trolling reaction. Except the further and further down you go to hanging out with actual avowed Nazis in the form of the, the Daily Show of podcast and Murdoch Murdoch and a couple of other just awful, like outright Nazi sort of comedy shows. They use the cover of comedy still to say just joking, just kidding, but not really. Uh, so Nick Fuentes is another sort of right wing comedy troll that we, we talk about in the book who's being funny. He's trying to elicit uh, a laugh out of the most serious of subjects, right? The, the, the Holocaust, the thing that you're not supposed to joke about at all. He saw that there was an economic space to make money out of making jokes about the most verboten thing out there. And he's got a, whatever version of his career you want to, you want to call it. These folks importantly are not the same thing as Gutfeld and Rogan and the more mainstream folks, but they're a click or two away from a podcast who gets you to another podcast, to another web show. They exist in the same profit-making structure as Gutfeld and Rogan do, even if they're not on the same plane morally. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Um, My question is, uh, let me be stereotype here, but it's going to be about gender guys. And it's, and I would love to hear from both of you about it, but um, admittedly I have not finished the book, but I, you know, not, this is not an accusation about the book because I think we also tend to speak about the audiences that follow these comics and uh, comedy outlets as mostly white males, right? But they're not entirely white and they're not entirely male. And for me personally, I do spend a lot of time fucking awake at night, (laughs) worried and thinking about the women who prop up these comics and these networks and therefore i think are complicit in a lot of this uh sharing of political messages that empower shit that is bad for women and bad for trans people and bad for queer people you know what i mean and um uh these women and some of them man they're people that i love hanging out with they're funny as fuck they're good at comedy they are nice good people but they explain a way to themselves that it's okay to be on Skankfest and it's okay to laugh along 
at jokes full of racial slurs when you're on their podcast because this will get you followers Mm -hmm. and it's okay to laugh about shit that is degrading to women at your venue even though you're a woman (laughs) you know like uh in a way where, you know, I don't know, if it was just not leaving the room and you're just letting out some steam, maybe you could be like, fine, who's it hurting? But it's demonstrably hurting things. Um, So what was your experience in your research for this book and your interviews? Did you talk to many women? What was, what did they have to say for themselves? Yeah, the the short answer, Louisa, is is no. Like there weren't many to, again, because we weren't doing um, sort of, out in the field interviews at, at the clubs themselves yeah. where like the uh, women comics are, are working. Our focus was on the, um, the big money-making entities in, in right-wing comedy. And, and everybody still, knows that in comedy, that's not women. <laughs> that it's we, the truth. <laughs> yeah. We, we watched yeah. a ton of the highest rated shows mm-hmm. and most listened to podcasts and they're all populated by, by men. That's not it, to say I'm endorsing that, but it's... No, you're yeah. right. No, and there's a reason that uh, the most famous and highest paid and most accessible women or non-male comics are progressive, you know, let's maybe not leftist, but certainly progressive and liberal uh, because there is no market on the other side for them, really, unless they're like a Bobert type of woman, yeah. right? I was going to say, you talk about diamond yeah. and silk as exactly. like, I mean, so exactly. tokens, exactly. you know? That's what I mean, yeah. So there, there is this thing where they're like um, the handmaiden, handmaidens of patriarchy in like the worst oh. possible fucking way because they frame it to themselves as other and others as um, feminism, and yeah. it's like them being as good as the guys at comedy and being like as successful as fucking Dennis Miller or whatever. And it's like, but you're doing it in the worst possible way. I don't <laughs> the, know. The, the reason there are no women right wing comics and there yeah. may be some emerging on the level of a Rogan or Gutfeld is because all of the right wing thoughts, right wing ideology we talk about in the book. And you, you two know this is rooted in white patriarchal authority it's it's the control over property and capital owned and perpetuated by white men and on the left our our coalition by by definition is bigger broader it's more diverse it's inclusive of more and different kinds of voices i also think that's why we tend not to have as coherent a political project there's more of us and more different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds but that 40 percent of the country is about maintaining the same kind of thought that the motherfuckers 250 years yeah. ago uh, wrote uh, that black folks were three fifths worth of a person, yeah. right? And, you know. Which is why it does make sense to me to speak to liberals directly, because yeah. I think that the umbrella of liberals does contain a lot of potential leftists who don't necessarily know that they're leftists sure. because they have not really looked into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get, and I, I think it's also really important, sorry, just last thing, okay. to acknowledge that that right, right-wing side, whether it's audience or comics, they are pulling not from the left. Like, there's nobody on the left being like, hey, I can make money by saying pro-Trump jokes. I'm going to go do that. We actually consider ourselves leftists, so we wouldn't do that. But there are, they are all coming from the center. So you need to understand that like apolitical means center. When you claim I have no opinion about this, you end up squarely in the middle. And it is the people who are squarely in the middle who get called over by you can make money here. People will think you're funny here. You'll get approval here. 
And therefore, I think it's important for us to be self-aware of how close to the center we are or not. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not actively political, you just tend to, even if you consider yourself one of these, like, people who's very uh, prominent in comedy, which are, like, don't actually have a ideological basis for what they're saying, but they just want to be the smartest person in the room and kind of like are in reaction to both left and right, whatever consider themselves to be above the left and right binary or whatever, but aren't radical in in traditional ways. Um, Those people, you know, those exist too, which is why that's also why I was like, ah, the book keeps calling me a liberal. Uh, (laughs) I kind of have a theory on like who, I think most people don't identify as either like a liberal or a conservative. They kind of consider themselves above it or apolitical. I'm an independent thinker. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people are smart enough to be cynical in a country yeah. that like gives you no other feasible like way to actually be engage yeah. in politics in a way that like benefits your life. So a lot of people are just like, eh, what can you do? Um, and so that's kind of who I would maybe more speak to or whatever. But yeah. Um, God, there's so many things I wanted to fucking compliment you on. The the section on Sam Hyde is really good because like. I knew yes. a lot of people who liked him and we all were wondering like, yeah, it, is he a, with trolls? You're like, are they joking or are they not? And with him, he became yeah. somebody who was like kind of obvious after a while. Like, wait, this person, like they might not have started off thinking Nazi shit, but he certainly finished right. that way. You know, I, I remember watching that show and thinking like, oh, this is on Adult Swim. It's part of the same sort of Tim and Eric absurdist universe. But yeah, it doesn't take very long to discover like, oh, he's donating to Nazis and hanging out. and Yeah, yeah and blaming his lack of success and stuff like that on like instead instead of being a good leftist and blaming it on yeah. capitalism itself yeah. or the rich in general. Exactly. He picked a certain part of uh, society, you know, to, to yeah. do that yeah. with, which is what Nazism Which fucking always is. works out great. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And what's so dangerous about all this? I mean, but, oh, sorry. Well, I... I guess I kind of as we're getting to where we got to wrap up here. Um, but like, you know, you went through all these different groups, right? And all these different mm-hmm. sections of the right wing media complex in this book. And it kind of gives us a really interesting zoology of what the fuck is going on over there. But I, my ultimate question here is like, what's the point though? Like, what do I, what is supposed, someone supposed to take away from this? Cause what I get from it is a wake up call, like a, Hey, you need to understand that comedy can be a part of a very dangerous complex, you know, and that that's a exactly. you need to be more articulate than just saying ah, oh, bad comedian bad because they love that they'll just go oh yeah. look everyone's afraid of my edgy humor or whatever. Like we need to understand that this is some part of something that's bad that's happening. But then I, my my question is what do, what are we supposed to do with this information though? Like who's this for? Um, how do because I guess. The book seemed like it was like, hey, be a better liberal. And I'm reading it and I'm going, no, no, no. A better liberal is not a liberal at all. It's a radical leftist, right? What do you think, though? What do I, that, that my, my personal opinion aligns with what you just said. But the, the purpose of the book is to sort of address the, the broadly conceived, like, liberal mainstream of America and say that the, the right does comedy. They use it to paper over their ideological inconsistencies, right? Whether you're a sexual predator like Trump or whether you're a Christian fundamentalist. And we just want to get people to recognize that, right? So for years and years, we just assumed that right-wing people were just like, you know, angry Republicans, uh, didn't have a sense of humor, were incapable of producing culture. But if you take that Breitbart uh, added seriously that politics is downstream from culture, well, here it is. We're, we're like wading in the culture river right now with uh, comedy on the right. And the, the same potential for uh, political efficacy that we've used comedy for exists on the right, right? It has the potential to attract 
especially young male listeners in the form of like Joe Rogan's audience. It has the potential to bond people together in the same way that comedy bonds us together on the left. I'm not a political activist. I don't have a prescription for like, here, here's the problem. Now go out and do something about it. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get people to recognize that it is a problem before we figure out what to do. That is what we social scientists do. (laughs) We're like, (laughs) I am just here to point out the problem, point at it, put flags all around it, and then I'm going to walk away. (laughs) I tell my students that we we read, you know, Karl Marx and Althusser in my my classes at university. And I'll get that question from students a lot. Like, wow, this is really like eye-opening. Now, what do I do with this? And I'm like, ah, I, I don't know. But you know <laughs> go what my join answer, DSA, go, yeah. My answer to that is that uh, if you do really believe that humanity is a communal species, then we don't actually ever solve anything through individualism. We solve everything through standing on the shoulders of the people who came before us and through contributing the part that we can contribute to the solution yeah. to the problem. And uh, whether it sucks or not, acknowledging the problem is an important part of fixing the problem. So some of us can only help you shed light on it. And hopefully that'll inspire the people who have the tools to come with solutions and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right on solidarity. Yeah. As a, as a comic, I almost want to like give this book to people that are thinking of trying comedy. But the the problem (laughs) with it is that if you understand that the system only rewards people who either or born rich, or become feckless liberals, or become evil <laughs> Nazis, then that might make you go, thanks, book, I'm not going to do comedy now, <laughs> I'm right? Goodbye, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that, and I kind of think that, like, no, that means that you can then think about making the thing you want to make in a better yeah. way that takes yeah. us all into consideration and doesn't... I don't want people that have a dream that are naturally funny, that enjoy the thing that I enjoy, to then years later end up as a monstrous, weird anti-vaxxer that's like, <laughs> this is the only way to happy. keep doing this yeah. thing, you know? Right. You're not going to look back at your life and be like, wow, I did it. I did the thing. You're going to be sad. You know, like I, to be honest with you, you know, Jay and Lewis, who I do feel like I was friends with at some point, I'm like, I I don't see you looking back at your life and be feeling good about everything you've done. You know, like they have already expressed regrets and discomfort with some of the things privately and then publicly they encourage it and they yeah. feed it because it is financially viable. Yeah. And especially they both have children, so they do have, you know, financial uh, responsibilities that push them towards doing what you have to do to make that money. But I don't I don't see them as old men looking back and being 100 percent proud. No, all these people are fucking angry all the time and they all have tons of money. So that'll tell you something right there. Like it wasn't worth it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Nick, anytime you want to come back to the show, yeah. uh, you find more information, you want to write <laughs> another book, come talk to us. We love having you here. I'm happy to. If, if one of these, these these people ends up in the, the news cycle again, I'd be happy to come back and, and talk about them and extend our conversation more. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, where can coming. people find the book and everything and follow you and all that stuff? Yeah, so the, the book is called That's Not Funny, How the Right Makes Comedy Work from Them. It's available at all the, the places that sell books, from the, the big, bad, evil one to your local bookstores. Uh, it's from the University of California Press. I'm on Twitter, at Mark's Nick. My uh, co-author, Matt Sinkowitz, is on Twitter, at Media Studied. Uh, but be happy to come out and do a reading or come on your show to talk more about it. Yeah, have them on your show. Have these guys on your show, especially if you want to talk about comedy stuff, man, and how it affects your choices and your 
how you do your art and your comedy, I think, or even consume it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of material reductionist leftists who would say uh, politics isn't downstream from culture. That's a very big thing in the dirtbag left and the Chapa world and stuff like that. I think they're yeah. wrong. I think they need to read their Gramsci and stuff like that. And I think that like the the in the one of the weirdest things about the world we live in is that the culture is a huge currency. It's like all we do all day. You know, we all just make stuff and listen to each other's stuff and watch stuff or whatever. So like understanding this stuff about comedy, I would argue that your point, your book makes a great uh, articulated point about it, which is that it is fucking important and it is affecting things, you know, and it is like at least part of the apparatus. It's like a symptom of a thing too, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, as, as you, as you see our political leaders continue to, to flail around and not achieve anything, I think the tendency is going to be to continue to, to lean harder into culture and fight our wars Absolutely. there and, and try to gain an upper hand well, like, however Repub- you can there. You know? Republicans literally just say like woke now, like they use that no. as a term. They use cancel yeah. culture. These are all these came out of culture, these dumb terms that are yeah, now right. bubbling up to the top. So like yeah. it's all happening. It's all real. Um, <laughs> and you should uh, not admonish these people for, you know, oh, you said a bad <laughs> word. It's just understand that what they're doing is fucking grifting you and yeah. that shit sucks. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. We all good? Bye. Bye, everyone. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much.